everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. Tonight's episode is called Far From Spider Lake. I don't like it. Cut off her nose to spider face. (laughs) That I like. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) That's made it much better for me. Okay, good. This aired on December 4th. 2020, almost the end of the year of our Lord. A few weeks to go, guys. Hang in there. We could do it. This is season 29, episode 17. It is hosted by Arlene King, Keith. It will almost be Keith Miss, which is coincidentally the same day as Christmas. And it's just a coincidence. In honor of that, we are copying Kim from People Are Wild's Thanksgiving gift exchange idea and doing a Keith Miss Gift Exchange. So I've set it up online. You go to this website. The link will be in our bio on Instagram and Twitter. And I'll do a post about it on all of our social media platforms. And you go to this website, you sign up, and then you are randomly paired with someone. And you create a wish list for yourself. You can pick anything on the whole interwebs that you want and put URLs into your wish list. And so the person who gets you can send you things. And it's really fun. And so I think the signups are going to end this coming Friday. Friday. There's going to be, you can only, I'm going to post about it on Monday. So hopefully you'll have already seen the post. This episode comes out on Wednesday. You have literally two and a half days to sign up. That seems too short. Maybe a Saturday or Sunday extension. Yeah, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday extension. Sunday at midnight. Sunday at midnight, 12.01, you're out of luck. You don't deserve Keith Miss. You don't get Keith Miss. No. And we're still taking suggestions for the other holidays, but I think we have them down. I think we got, sorry, do you mind that I'm doing an announcement here? I think our winners might be, the ones to beat are Independence Day. Okay, that's good. And that was Heather on Twitter. And Canningda Day which is Canada Day. That's a hard one because it's not. It's hard. It's July 1st, I guess. But we don't celebrate that here, so I don't know. We're still working on that one. Also, Liz suggested Aurora Borealis. Like if you were to see the Aurora Borealis. It's hard, Liz. You know that's hard. I'm not mad at that, Liz. That's a, It's a reach, but it's the kind of reach that I like and enjoy. <laughs> okay. You got to work for it. Yeah, yeah. So... Keep us posted if you have any ideas. Maybe I'll put that in the post about Keith Miss. So this episode, Keith starts by saying, it was, this was where happiness lived. He did like a a thing with a comma, then another thing, and then a comma. I don't know what that's called. It was, this was. Uh Uh-huh, for emphasis. Emphasis, I like it. Okay, so it's a place called Spider Lake in Minnesota, one of thousands of lakes that filled up the rocky gouges that glaciers left behind. Spider Lake sounds so much less appealing to me than Finger Lakes. How do you market Spider Lake? I was really thinking about this. Who wants a kitschy shirt that says Spider Lake on it? Well, I do. I'm a goth kid, so of course I want that. But Honestly, I want to be a lake person. I like the idea of lakes. The idea of spiders filling a lake which is the image that comes to mind, ruins the appeal of the lake. A spider puppy even sounds gross to me. Spider pizza, nasty. 
Oh. Ruins all my favorite things. I did not associate spiders being in the lake. I was much more concerned about spiders being in my cabin. So I'm going to go back to really quick what I said about the marketing of this place. Because I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, what if you had like a cute, happy spider with like a top hat? And I'm like, that's still scary. You still don't want to go there because it still denotes that there's spiders somewhere on the property. I think if you lean into it and have a cartoon Charlotte with the top hat, that makes it worse, I think. It draws attention to it. It makes it worse to the spiders. Yeah, because maybe you can convince yourself there were spiders a long time ago, but they got rid of them all. But I think if you live in the area, you know it, you know why it's called that, you know that it doesn't really have spiders, it's not a huge infestation, arachnophobia wasn't filmed there. No, but here's the deal, you're trying to get this lake separated out and make it the place to go instead of the other thousand lakes in Minnesota. I think that you just have to show, it has to say, Spider Lake Resort, free jet ski, and then that's it. You have to make it seem like this is the best lake. You get a free jet ski if you go visit? Free jet ski ride. Like, if you come to the resort, we let you use our jet skis for no additional charge. And in parentheses, it says, we know our name is bad. Or it says, no spiders on on the jet ski. Right. But then I'm picturing some sort of action movie where Bruce Willis is on a jet ski navigating around giant piles of spiders. Either way, it's rough, right? It is a... Tough call. Yeah. Okay. I'm, and I'm sure if you're local, it's charming and it looks beautiful. But if you're not a local and you're right, you want to draw people to that resort. Instead of another resort at the lake down the street, which is probably called Happiness Lake. Puppy Lake. Again, Puppy Lake. Pizza and Puppy Lake. Kitten Lake. I'm going there over Spider Lake. I'm going to Junebug Lake over Spider Lake, probably. Absolutely. What I actually think this lake is, though, is a Mosquito Lake. Because most lakes in Minnesota are mosquito lakes in the summer. Itchy lake. Yeah. So it's in northern Minnesota, and there's a resort called the Spider Lake Resort. And it is one of northern Minnesota's best-kept secrets. Secrets is a word that will certainly apply to what you're going to hear, Keith tells us. Oh, boy. Chris and Jan Cruz went there on vacation for years and dreamed about buying the resort and making it their own. They were married for 20 years. They lived in Brewster, Minnesota, which has a population of 473. So my high school? No, my graduating class. My graduating class is bigger than that. That's crazy. Also, not to be morbid, but obviously someone's about to be murdered. Do they change the sign? Or when someone's born, do they change the sign? No, because someone's born. I think they probably change it once a year, once every three years. If it's that small of a population every three years, then they do like some subtraction and addition. Okay. Do they have an unveiling or do they just do it with no ado? No ado. They're not showy. Okay. Jan and Chris had son Isaac, who was 20, sister Bailey, who was 15. Bailey's going to be our important one here. Isaac, we never hear from again. No, we do. Isaac? We get one interview with Isaac. Oh, sorry. Isaac, we do hear from you. I'm not bidding you adieu yet. One time. Okay. So they learned that Spider Lake is for sale. So Chris and Jan drive six hours to the lake to negotiate. They offer their highest amount, whatever they could get from their bank, their highest that they could go. When you hear how much it would cost to get this resort, and if you live in, let's say, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, you're going to cry. I got a little weepy. Yeah, agreed. You can buy a resort for what you can buy a 
two-bedroom condo for in LA. Blew my mind. Okay. Time for a move. Yeah. So they don't get the resort. Their offer was not good enough. Their dream was dead. And two nights later, so was Jan. That is my comment that was not Keith. Oh, I thought that was Keith. That was good. That was me. It was so good that I thought it was Keith. There you go. Thank you. Keith asks, why would anybody want to shoot Jan? His voice got really high. Did you notice? It's a little Brady Bunch. I, I heard it. Yeah. Emphasizing Jan because Jan was such a wonderful person. He says to the audience, I know what you're thinking, but it might not be that at all. What were you thinking? Affair. Oh, well, I did your favorite thing, which is watch this episode with Oliver. Okay. And would you like to know what Oliver thought? Yeah, as a non-regular Dateline viewer, what did Oliver think? Oliver was like, oh, for the insurance money so that he could buy the resort. Oliver. Nailed it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we're not going to say what we think happened. There's other theories. That's the main theory, though. Let's be honest. That's what Keith was insinuating, right? Mm. Mm. So Chris calls 911 and he says, somebody just shot my wife. He sounds really bored. I don't know if I've ever heard a call that was so flat. I don't know. Um, I was sleeping. I heard a bang. But it's almost annoyed that she's asking him, like, what happened? And he's like, my wife was shot. Like, I don't know. The back door was open. I woke up. I don't know what happened. Like, so disinterested. It was unbelievable. I do think it's one of the most non-emotional ones we've ever had. It was so monotone. I was... It could not be more nonchalant, non, nonplussed, just did not care at all. And I know people in certain regions of the states have different emotion levels, like they keep their emotions close to the vest, chest, whatever. But in about three minutes, we're going to see him hysterical. This is also the height of dramatic events, right? Yeah. Someone next to you that you love has been shot. Yeah. So... When he was that flat, I'll tell you what I thought a little bit later, because then it made a little more sense. Mm. I didn't honestly think it was him. I was like, is someone else calling? No, that's him. Yeah. Even a neighbor would sound more concerned. Oh, I I think I would have been crying. It's striking. Let's put it that way. Maybe he's in shock. We don't like to judge how people react after traumatic situations. So I'll tell you now, that's what I thought. Okay. I thought he was in shock. I okay. thought it was so much that he just shut down. I was like, oh, no, he's, he just shut down. That was it. Yeah. yeah. So, but then Jan's parents say when he called them right after, he was hysterical. And he could barely understand them. So, and this was probably minutes after. So that's weird hmm. to me. Or maybe it wasn't minutes after. Maybe it was half an hour or an hour later. I don't think it was right after because this was literally right after the 911 call is. Yeah. So Keith says, why would anyone want to shoot her? Yeah, he goes up at the end. Hmm. It's really emphasizing her. She was a good mom. She was, I've never heard this before on Dateline. She was non-controversial. But I think that's the right way to phrase it. That's someone who's not in a high-risk lifestyle. She doesn't have a lot of beefs with people. She's not involved in any risky behavior. She's, you know, gets along with everyone. She's not doing anything possibly illegal. She's just non-controversial. Just like a normal citizen. She is a great person and a regular person. Yeah. So he says nobody didn't like her, which was a rare double negative Hmm. from our king. Yeah. So then we meet Derek Whitford, who's a special agent with the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. 
What in the what? Very exciting. What's it called? The CBDF? What? Hold on. I wrote it down. SBCA, I guess it would be. No, it was the C. It was the BCA, the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, BCA. Okay. Never in my life. Yeah, never. So he goes to the house. He finds that Jan has been shot. There's two shotgun shells. One hit her in the shoulder chest area. And another one hit the headboard of the bed, which is against the wall of the bedroom, and went outside the house, which is so terrifying for me. Because I always feel like I'm probably not going to make someone mad enough to shoot me. But what if I'm just walking and it comes out of a house? Terrifying. How high risk would you say you are? I think I'm very low risk. Medium risk. Maybe because of the podcast, I'm high risk. I would say medium risk. (laughs) So there's a broken window, but the ground outside was wet and there's no muddy prints. So it doesn't seem like someone broke in because there's no footprints. And it was really muddy outside. We see Whitford and Chris's first interview. He says he was asleep in bed. They were spooning, he and Jan. And then Special Agent Whitford explains to us what spooning was. Well. Which made my night. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Episode made. I can stop watching now. You didn't know? Of course I know. Then why were you, why were you? I spoon with dogs on the reg. That's true. But I don't do a lot of spooning with people, that's for sure. So Chris only heard one bang and woke up and thought, are we on fire again? Because he smelled something like gunpowder. Apparently, two months earlier, the family's garage was burned down. And we see this car, which was horrifying. If you're scared of fire, uh uh-uh. Don't look at that picture. Yeah. Because it was melted and falling. It was rough. Yeah. Now, the insurance company thought that this fire might be intentional. And the agent told them, lock your doors. Ooh. This is never again addressed, even though this is a two-hour dateline. This point, which could be extremely important, never again addressed. You're totally right, and I just realized it. Do you have a theory about it then? Yes. Oh, you do? I'm thrilled. Okay, that's great. That's great news. Okay. Whitford thinks it's strange that Chris thought the smell was another fire because a house fire and a shotgun going off would smell very different, especially because Chris was a hunter. He would shoot a lot. To which I say malarkey, sir. I think when you wake up and it's a, you're a little fog, you might be confused. And there's a smell that is smoky. You're just going to immediately go to the last traumatic thing happening, not immediately assuming that someone was shooting a shotgun. Yeah, I give him a pass on that. Yeah, me too. But now Chris is hysterical. And he's crying and having trouble getting out his words. And he's saying, there's a shotgun shell at the foot of my bed. What the F is the matter with people? He stood at the effing doorway in my bedroom and shot my wife. He's hysterical. Mm -hmm. But as he's crying hysterically, he's pushing away the box of tissues. He touches the tissues the whole time. Did you see him? Yeah. And then he pushes them away. But no, but then he straightens them later. He keeps moving to that to have something to do with his hands. He's like organizing them. He's not doing well with his hands. I think he's not crying real tears. And that's why he's subconsciously pushing the Kleenex away. Oh, crap. We're going to disagree on this. Okay. I'm ready. 
Okay. I'm not. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) We don't see any tears. I will surrender early. I saw tears. So. You did? Yes, I did. Did he use a Kleenex? He didn't use a Kleenex, but he's very clearly crying to me. Okay. Did they ever say that he wasn't crying tears? No. Wouldn't they say that? That's kind of a big tell. This guy gave us every rundown detail of what didn't line up. I feel like Derek Woodford would say, and you know, if you'll notice, he wasn't crying real tears. No water was coming out of his eyeballs. That's what I like to say. No moisture. I think he was definitely crying. He does wipe his eyes with his sleeve at one point later Mm -hmm. on in another interview. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't tell if his sleeves were wet after that. So why did he notice one shotgun shell and not the other? Police found that weird because they're sitting right next to each other. I have a theory on that. Okay. I think he kicked one. I think when he was leaving the room, I think there was one right in his path and he kicked it over when he was leaving the room. I think that the shell might have been in a different position in the bedroom. Even if the person shot both times from the same place, would they land that far apart? Yeah, they could land that far apart. Okay. Because they were like behind the door jam. That was my theory on that is that, yeah, maybe he did only see one. I don't know how much attention he was paying. And also if the light was on in the hall. Yeah, I can see that. I have a feeling the house was completely dark. Yeah, I would think so. He does say he turned the light on when he was going to call 911. I hope so. So he had said he didn't see anybody. But then when he's crying, he's like, he stood in my effing doorway and shot my wife. So maybe he's just imagining that there was a man and that he stood in the doorway, even though he doesn't really know where the person stood. He had to know where the person stood because he saw the shotgun shell. So we absolutely know whereabouts the person was. Because the shotgun shell, you're right, is not traveling feet backwards. So he wasn't standing at the bed and the shell was across the room. He did see one shell. So he knows where they were. But I don't know why he didn't see any shape of a person. Right. No clue. Strange. Also strange, he says Jan was shot as she was laying down. And then after she was shot, she sat up really fast. Mm which doesn't ever happen. And she said, oh my God. And then he laid her back down, but he doesn't have any blood on his hands, not a stitch of blood on his hands. This is the weirdest one. The no blood on him is very difficult to sort. Then he admits that he didn't try to stop the bleeding, Mm -hmm. do CPR or anything. Mm -hmm. He says he called 911 and then he went to check on the daughter and noticed that the back door was open. Mm. So we're going to get a lot more into detail about this. Mm -hmm. Jan's parents invite Chris and Bailey, the daughter, to move in with them after the murder because they don't think he has anything to do with it. Daughter Bailey heard two shots. Now, Bailey and Chris both have hearing issues. Bailey wears a hearing aid. She was sleeping without it, but she still heard two shots. Mm Mm-hmm. So the police find that weird. She says at 2.30-ish, and Keith keeps repeating this, as Liz pointed out on Twitter, and keeps saying, like 2.30. He's trying to talk like a teenager. But it's super important. I don't know if you thought the same thing I did, but I was like, okay, like 2.30 is not 2.30. And it becomes extremely important because this whole time I'm like, okay, so here's what she saw. She looked at her clock. She saw a two and a three. Yes. Third number. What's the third number? It's 2.30-ish. So what is that? And it's really important. It's unfortunate. 
So Chris didn't call 911 until 2.39. So the police think she was shot at 2.30 and he waited nine minutes to call. And why at this point you wouldn't nail down that time? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Is extremely frustrating. It's bad police work. Yeah, it's really not good, Derek. So Bailey is also very chill during her interrogation the night of. She is shaking like a leaf. Are you kidding? Her legs don't stop moving. She's like boom, 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 boom under the table. And then one goes and then the other goes. She's chill on top. Legs are going nuts. Legs are going like a duck. Mm -hmm. So she's ducking it. Bailey says that her parents got along for the most part. That'll be important later. Mm -hmm. She also says she was very stressed because she really wanted to finish high school in their town, but they wanted to go by the lake. So they were trying to decide if they bought the lake, if her and the mom would stay so she could finish high school, how that would work out. She said it was stressing her out a lot. And she was calmed down by a good friend of hers who calmed her down out of a lot of things, she says, an older boy named Jeremy Majeres. Jerbear. Now, Jerbear is 19 and she's 15. They're just friends. Is she a sophomore or is she a freshman? I don't know when her birthday is, so. But 15. 15 is, you don't even have your license yet. Correct. 15 is, it's definitely illegal. So. Yeah. But they like each other and they wanted to start dating, but the mom and dad didn't approve because it's illegal. And so he would like sneak in to see Bailey. The parents didn't really know that they were hanging out that much. Now we're getting somewhere. Sneak into the house. Yes. I'm glad she has a coping mechanism. I wish instead of reaching out to someone who could get arrested for holding hands with her, she was reaching out to a professional therapist. Yes. BetterHelp offers therapy with a licensed professional therapist in the privacy of your own home. You can start communicating with someone in under 24 hours. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, but you can also send a message to your counselor at any time, like you're being interrogated by the police and your story is a little confusing. There you go. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Counselors specialize in all kinds of issues like depression, anxiety. You want to buy a lodge in Minnesota, but you're terrified of mosquitoes and spiders and algae. Also, it's holiday season. BetterHelp knows that family time comes with stress. Buying presents and stress and baking goodies and more stress. They can help you with that. BetterHelp is easy. It's totally affordable. It's confidential. What are you waiting for? We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash dateline. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash dateline. Because we can all use a little better help. I like the up. It's good. It's very good. I don't want it to be like, help. No, you want it to be like, help. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Check them out, guys. Thank you, BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp. So the deputies go to talk to Jeremy and they record it. So we hear the audio. Jer says they are friends now for now. But he told her that they'd have to wait until she was older because she's only 15. And he says they've never kissed or anything. Question mark? Not sure. 
because you have to be careful with that if they're underage. Yes, you do, Jeremy. Mm. He's even talked to his pastor about it. Good for him. Mm. I would like to know that they talked to the pastor. That the police talked to the pastor? Yeah. Okay, yes, that would be good to know. I hope Jeremy is staying on the up and up here. I really, really do. I really hope, but he is sneaking in to see her, but I guess a lot of teenagers do that even if they're just friends, but it still seems a little odd that they haven't kissed or anything. Teenagers do that when they're both 15. Yeah, if you're 19, it's a little suspect, but I feel like Jeremy might be a little simple. Uh Uh-uh. No, you don't agree. Is by simple, do you mean creepy? <laughs> Are you like equating simple with he might be a super creep? No, not at all. I really don't like the fact that how they met at the band thing, the whole story of them. I don't like the way that they met. I didn't get a super creep vibe from him. And I get a super creep vibe from a lot of people. You do. That's true. That's why I, I like I that. get kind of not that bright kid who found another girl who he kind of liked and they both just kind of liked each other. And I agree that it's totally not right for them to be dating romantically. Mm -hmm. Not okay. And Mm -hmm. he knows that. He sounds like he knows that. Not sure if I believe them, but he's saying the right things that he, you know, believes it. But I didn't get a super predatory vibe from him. I can see getting that, but I didn't get one. That's really weird. So... Bailey said to the police that her parents were not fighting a lot. But Jeremy says that Bailey told him that her parents were yelling at each other all the time about the money and the lake and that Bailey really, really hates it when they fight. And it makes her very, very upset. He said really like 10,000 times. Bailey is brought back in by the police and asked about this. And she says, no, they never yelled or argued about the lake, which doesn't totally go with what she said earlier and definitely doesn't go with what her wannabe boyfriend is saying. So one of them is not telling the truth. She does admit things have been stressful at home because of the fire two months before the murder. Can we talk about the fire? Never again. They're never going to talk about the fire again. I know. That's what I'm saying. Can you please talk about the fire, Bailey? Who set the fire? Why was there a fire? Who set the fire? Do, do it with that. Oh, no. Who started the fire? <laughs> Bailey. Bailey. Nancy's asking you a question. Man, I really want to know. I know. It's very crucial to me. <clears throat> so Jan had had a hysterectomy, and then Chris had got his appendix out. Oh, my. Kind of made me laugh. I know it spontaneously just happens, but... If I was the wife and I had hysterectomy surgery and then my husband had appendix surgery, I would be like, you just didn't want me getting all the attention. You had to get a surgery too. Oh, I see how this works. You couldn't even let me have my hysterectomy. (laughs) But that's a lot to go through in this period of just a few months. And Dateline asks people, have you ever had a period of time where bad things keep happening in a row? And everyone was like, Yeah, it's called 2020, Dateline. It's called 2020. Thanks. What about a string of 10 years? Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, okay. That's just like you broke a mirror. Yeah, exactly. You killed a black cat or something. That's a curse, yeah. So they ask Bailey, did you hear anyone running out of the house after the gunshots? And she says, no, I only heard my dad's footsteps, okay? Mm. Then we're going to hear about... Curious little particulars at the crime scene. 
which made me so happy that Keith describes it like that because it reminded me of a raft of corresponding demons and oh. a constellation of ailments. Yes. Two of my other favorites. So police bring back in Chris. He still says he only heard one shot and saw one shell. Then we see the bullet trajectory. Basically, they feel that forensics show that if Chris was in bed spooning where he described himself, he would have been hit with that bullet that went through the headboard. He obviously was not shot. He starts crying at this point and says, I've been asking myself that question. It went straight through my house. Again, I got very scared because I'm not going to walk by any houses anymore. <laughs> there have to be some houses that are like thicker that it wouldn't go straight through, right? Yes. Are you really worried about this? It's not going to happen. I have weird, irrational fears. Like if I hear a helicopter, I'm like, there's going to be a shootout somewhere and it's going to ricochet into my house through my window and kill me. You are very scared to die. That is not going to happen. I promise you. It will not happen. Well, I can't promise. I can almost promise that probably won't happen. Is not the way it's going to happen? Yeah. No. I feel like it does happen though. It definitely does, but it's very, it's like, I think it's like a lesser chance than hit by lightning. You're not going to, no, get out of here. Wait a minute though. What I didn't like is that when he's describing the spooning, they keep saying that you said you were sleeping and he said, no, we were sleeping. That's how we slept. The way that he was trying to describe the sleeping was not that that's the position that they woke up in. It was that's how they had gone to sleep. But that doesn't mean that's how they woke up. That was driving me crazy that they kept doing that. I was like, no, he doesn't know what position he woke up in because he was awoken and was like, what's happening? But they went to sleep spooning. But you don't stay in the same position all night. So why would he still be in that position? I thought he made it seem like he woke up. He said, I woke up and she, my arm was under her. That's what one of the cops said, he said. But then he said, no, that's how we slept. He corrected them. It was frustrating. It's either frustrating because the police are not understanding him and he was rattled the first night when he was interrogated and made it seem like one way or because his story's changing. Yeah, I, it could be either one, but it was irritating. Both ways are irritating. Okay, that's fair. Irritation. Mm -hmm. So what if I had an ad for an ointment right now? That would be perfect. We don't. We don't. We no don't lotions. sell ointments. I know. No lotions. No, sorry. Come on, guys. <laughs> Hook us up. I love an ointment. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm thinking of your toiletry bucket where, like, <laughs> so many things. So many lotions that I never use. <laughs> so many. But you love them. I know you love them. So it's just you got to get around. I just it takes me a long time to go through them. Yeah. So he's crying. He's saying, I've been asking myself that question. Why wasn't I hit? Mm -hmm. And the bullet went straight through my house. And was it supposed to be both of us that were killed? No, duh. No, duh. It was supposed to be both of you. Two shots. You're both supposed to be shot. Yes. The answer is yes. That's what Katie believes. Yeah. So then they reveal that the autopsy shows that Jan was sitting up when she was hit. Her arm was outstretched to the shooter which is very sad. And now Chris changes his story and says, yeah, now she was up. When I woke up, she was sitting up. Even though before he had said she was laying down. He clearly said she was laying down. He had said they had both woken up together and like and sat then up when together. She was, he said she was shot laying down and then she sat up after she was shot. 
which never made sense to me because that just doesn't make sense. So now he's saying the first round woke him up, he's assuming. He didn't know that she was shot until he turned the light on. Mm. I'm not giving him flack for not hearing the first shot because I think when you wake up by a loud noise, you don't always remember or resonate what that exact noise was. You just know you heard a loud noise that something woke you up and then you would hear the second shot. So I think it depends on how you sleep. You might hear it as part of your dream. Like, you know, and you know, like if you hear music, it's part of your dream, but it's actually your alarm clock. So I don't fault him for insisting that he only heard one shot. And now for saying, well, the first shot obviously was the one that woke me up. And then I heard the second shot. Yeah. So they're asking him some tough questions like, why did you say you saw somebody in the doorway or you made it sound like you saw somebody in the doorway? He's kind of stuttering and shifting and getting very flustered. They say, before she shot, you hear, oh, my God, you said you heard it after she got shot. So if you hear her say, oh, my God, and then you hear her get shot, you must have looked and seen a figure of someone who shot her if you were awake for that part. So he says, I have no idea. I didn't see anybody. Yeah. He just like puts his hands. So the investigator said during the 911 call, you didn't speak to Jan at all. Yeah. You didn't say any words of encouragement like, come on, honey, we're, you know, hang in there, anything. And he says, I've replayed this over and over in my mind. Mm -hmm. And the 911 call says, is she responding? And you said, she's dead. And then Chris says, I wasn't there. So he's saying he left the room. So you knew she was dead, but you weren't in the bedroom anymore. And he says, well, I looked at her from the doorway, I think maybe one more time or one time. He says, one time, I think maybe I looked at her from the doorway. And I was like, as long as you made a detailed assessment of your wife's life, that across the room checking for breathing is impressive and very caring. So the cop is pretty brutal. And he's asking Chris, do you love your wife? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't check to see if she was just laying there still, but she was still beating, had a heartbeat. And Chris is crying and says, no, I didn't check. He is very jumpy at this time. And his story is all over the place. This one's really hard because I'm sure he feels if he didn't do it, he would feel awful that he didn't do those things after they're being brought to his attention. So Oliver and I had a very detailed conversation how this would play out if it was Oliver. what the appropriate response would be. No, it was what he would actually do. What would he do? And if there was a child in the house, what would he do? And he said, he didn't know. He said he thinks that he would first get up and see if I was shot, like run and make sure that the child was okay because the person could still be in the house. So go and check and see that the child is okay. And then depending on what the child is doing. He said, if I was already gone when he came back, he would shut the door so the child would not go in. But then he said, also, if he did think he could save me, he would immediately, which is what I would do if it was him, apply pressure to the wound. Exactly. And that's the weird thing is that he didn't try to perform any procedure on her and she just died. And while he's on 911, he's not even asking them for help. Like, what can I do? Very strange. That's really weird. Because they could have walked him through some things, you know? 
also, if Oliver had a gun in the bedroom, wouldn't he have grabbed that for protection? He said he may not think about it. He said he may just go. Like, I'd, he didn't know if he would just go. And I was like, okay, because also you're, you just woke up. So you're like, uh, uh, go. I think if you have a gun right there, it's more in tuned in you to just grab it if you think there's danger. But that could be just me. But he said that he wouldn't. He said that he thinks he would just go regardless. But he doesn't have a gun in the bedroom. And then come back later. No, if he had a gun. I'm saying, would you? We need to ask someone that has a gun in the bedroom and see if- Would you think clear enough to grab the gun? Yes, or would you forget and not do it? And then I also said, would you go out of the house? He said, yeah, I might. I might run out the door to try to see if I could get the person, like to see if the person was still around. He said, I don't know, but that might be something I would do. And I was like, it's interesting. Also, I don't think Chris did that. Or if he did, we didn't hear about it. Chris doesn't seem to want to find the person who did it that much. Yeah, that is weird. He thinks people did it. It was the people, the bad people. He says that a couple of times. <laughs> what the F is wrong with people? But in my opinion of his behavior is when he's questioned about things, he gets very jumpy. He fumbles a lot and his story is very disconjointed. And he contradicts himself several times, even within like the same sentence. If you're feeling jumpy and stressed because you can't get your story straight, you might need to relax with some feel trying to do feels like a slow jam radio personality there you go do you guys experience stress or anxiety or chronic pain or have trouble sleeping at least once a week you're not alone all of the above there you go thank you <laughs> right good to know many of us do in fact i was asked by a listener recently to describe myself in three words and the second word that i used was anxious and I didn't really even think about it. I was being really honest and it sounds kind of funny, but anxiety plays a really big part in my daily life and not really a very pleasant part. So I was searching for something that would help with that and I discovered Feels. So Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Feels helps naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. I have read a lot about CBD I've been really excited to try Feels because it's worked for a lot of people. All you have to do is place a few drop of Feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. I run at a high level of anxiety. One of the things that you need to remember about CBD is you need to find a dose that works for you. So if you're new to CBD, Feels offers flights that give you different doses that you can try and see which one works for you to give you the desired effect that you want. And they also have a free CBD hotline that you can call to help you guide through your personal experience. Oh, I love that. It's great. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, there's no hangover, and there's no chance of addiction. So join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has got me feeling much better every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash date dateline and you'll get 50% off your first what? order. Yes, with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash date dateline to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash date dateline. I don't know about you, Kimberly, but I've got the feels. 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 That's how you spell it. I'm feel Alan good. 
Ooh, Fee Allen, good. Feel your best every day, guys. Give them a try. Check them out. Thank you, Feels. I've got that feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wave it, I'm singing a troll song. That's what's happening now. Mm. Maturity. 2020 is almost over. We're really close. You're going to get there. Honestly, if that song doesn't get you dancing, I don't know what's wrong with you. So play that song. You'll start dancing. Katie is like making a face like it does not get her dancing. It's not like what a feeling. What a feeling gets me dancing. What a feeling. Oh, what a feels in. Oh, I thought you were doing. Oh, what a feeling. No, I was doing flash dance. You were doing flash dance. Okay. Back to Chris. Back to Chris. Chris laid Jan back down on her back after she was shot, but didn't have any blood on his hands. There's no way. He barely. There's no. Thank you. There's no way. There's no way. It's lit. I just don't see how that is possible. If he washed his hands, it's possible. If he washed his hands in a trance and has no memory of washing his hands, then yes, it's possible. But otherwise, no, you didn't. He literally, they ask him about it and he cannot explain how he doesn't. He literally says, I do not have blood on my hands. That's true. Then you didn't lay her down. Then you didn't lay her down. He barely has any blood on him, but he was laying right next to her in bed when she was shot. So there's no blood spatter. There's a weird spot imprinted on the front of his shirt, which they say looks like an object had blood on it and then was pressed against him, which some people thought was the end of a gun barrel. It looked like that. It could look like that. It's kind of a square with a rectangle on it, some sort of uh, geometric shape, maybe like an upside down T. It's like when kids would play with blocks and dip the blocks in paint and then dip the paint, the block on a piece of paper, like a stamp. Oliver thought it might be a watch, blood on a watch. A big watch, I feel like, though. But it wasn't a circle. No, it's a square. A square watch, like a, a like an Apple watch. A square watch. Like a Fitbit watch, one of those that are like the squares with the strap that comes down. That's what Oliver thought it could be. It was just a guess, not a bad guess. So did was Jan wearing a watch? Yes, he thought maybe Jan was wearing a watch. We don't know. We don't know. So it's odd. Mm -hmm. They hook up Chris to a polygraph, and he did not pass. Nope. Then he brings up a suspect that has just come to his mind. This name, Lisa, has come to his mind. Lisa B. a red herring. So Lisa's last name is Red Herring. A woman down the street had an issue with Jan. Her name is Lisa. She was upset that Jan was quitting or maybe shutting down the daycare that Lisa's kid went to. Mm-hmm. This is the weakest motive I've possibly ever heard on a dateline. Yeah. They go see Lisa. Lisa said it was ancient history. She had no involvement and the police believe her. They do not pursue Lisa. So almost a year passes. They go back to Jeremy, the wannabe boyfriend. He said he would sneak into the house to see Bailey, even though they weren't kissing and weren't dating. Come on, man. He admits that he didn't want them to buy the resort and move away. Okay. Yeah. However, they had just lost the bid for the resort. So that motive seems to have gone away. I don't know why no one's mentioning that. Like, why isn't Bailey talking about it? And why isn't Jeremy saying that he was glad they weren't moving away, that that was over? Why is it not in the past? They're still seeming to talk like it's in the present. I mean, it was only two days before. I mean, had they not told Bailey? No, I'm sure they had told her, but I feel like maybe 
if I'm going to say Jeremy did it and had some motive and that was it, it would be like he knew they lost the bid but thought maybe they were going to try to make it work somehow, even though they had said they were going to let Bailey finish school there and have maybe the mom stay with her and commute or something. So Mm. it's unsure how that is an actual motive. Wanting to date Bailey, but they're not letting them date, that is a more valid motive. Although he seems to have a clear understanding that he will get arrested if they do anything. Very clear. Are you joking? Are you teasing me? Very clear. He seems very careful with the police. Yeah. So. Like extremely. Yeah. He does seem to realize that they can't have sex or at least they couldn't get caught having sex or he could get in big trouble. So it's unclear how big of a motive that would be. It's odd. But here's a lie. He did lie to the police. He had told investigators that he didn't leave the house the night of the murder. Then he admits he did go over to check on Bailey because at 2.48, so 10 to 15 minutes after the murder, she texted him, Jeremy, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and that's it. He texted back, are you okay? Didn't hear back, gets in the car, As he's driving over, he's texting, are you okay? What happened? What's wrong? Now, we don't hear from Dateline if the investigators did his cell phone pings to find out if he actually was driving over as he was getting or texting her or if he was possibly already at the house already. His dad said that he was watching TV with him at three in the morning. At three in the morning at 2.30? 2.30? I mean, I've watched TV with my dad until like 1 because that's when SNL ends, but not till 2.30. Maybe. Yeah, it's weird. They run a farm. Were they smoking pot together? Unsure. Why? That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not real. That's a bad alibi because it's his dad. So it's not good. Again, the cell phone would show where he was, though. Oliver was obsessed with the cell phone the entire show. When are we going to get the cell phone? When are we going to get, when was she texting? What time did she text Jeremy exactly? And their text back and forth that night. What were the times of those? Yeah. It was really frustrating because I feel like that's pretty important. You can see the times of those of when he's texting her and when she texted him. What was it? She texted at 2.48. He texted her at 2.50. 253, I believe, 255 or 258. It was before three. At 248? Why is she texting that late? I would assume by 248, I don't know how long the 911 dispatch takes in this very small town. Really wanted to know that too. But Jeremy says that when he got there, the police were everywhere, which makes sense because it's a 25 mile or minute distance from his house. So the police were definitely there when he got there. Definitely. But I'm wondering if while she was waiting for the police, she texted him or if when the police got there, she just maybe was dealing with her dad. I am thinking that she didn't really know what was happening until her mom was wheeled out of that room. But she knew she heard shots and she heard her dad. Her dad ran in. I think he said your mom was shot. I don't think he said she's dead. Right. But that what's the difference between you would text your boyfriend either way, right? Right. So did he run in at 248? I think 
We need the timeline of this house narrowed I, down. Yeah, I agree that I feel like most teenagers would are pretty attached to their phones and would text pretty instantaneously after. Me too. But I don't know exactly what was happening. But I do agree it is a little strange that it took her 10 minutes to text. It's strange. Yeah. So his dad, Jeremy's dad, told him not to get involved. And that's why he lied to the police and didn't say he drove over there that night. That's not good, Dad. That's why his dad also gave him a weird alibi that doesn't seem exactly on the up and up. However, yeah. he takes the polygraph and he doesn't fail the questions about where he was. Mm-hmm. He passes those questions. So he shows deception when he's talking about the state of Jan and Chris's marriage, which is a little confusing. So he says that Bailey had told him that they had mentioned the word divorce when they would fight. Okay. When they ask Bailey, she says, no, absolutely not. So, again, inconsistencies. That's really hard, too, because divorce can be a word that's thrown out without it being a serious word. But it does mean that the fights were intense enough that it's like, but it also can be a situation. We've come up against this before where someone's like, well, just divorce me then, you know? Absolutely. But Bailey is saying they never fought. I thought she said they did fight a couple times. She said they mostly got along, and then later she says they never really fought. And then later she says a 15-year-old doesn't pay attention if her parents are fighting, so I don't know anything about it. That's what she says later. It's strange. She's sugarcoating the whole thing. But Jeremy says that Bailey confessed that she was scared that her dad might be involved. So that's not good. Then we meet the letters. Meet like it's a new character. There are these letters I wish we got more of the letters. I wish they were a new character because I was like, tell me everything about these like letters. Like a person dressed as paper with the letters. That would be a good Halloween costume. You know what? Brilliant Halloween costume is the note from season one of Jersey Shore that Snooki and JWoww write to Sam about Ronnie cheating with the waitress. You would dress up head to toe as the note. Melissa and Kim, you can steal that idea. So the... Letters turn up a year and a half after the murder. Mm-hmm. Chris turns them into the police. They are supposedly sent by Jeremy to Bailey. Okay, I paused on the screen. First of all, the handwriting. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to say it looks like a serial killer, to which I'm going to say it looks like my writing. It's that kind of writing that is either serial killer or Kimberly <laughs> or fifth grade boy. It's all the same. It's not great. Not great. Hey, sweetheart. Mm. With figures, stick figure couples, little drawings. Okay. Why? Why is he doing this? Hey, kid, Jer, don't call your wannabe girlfriend kid if she's actually a kid underage and you're an actual adult. Yep. Pro tip for you there, buddy. We're going to be together I know that our lives are always going to, you know, our paths are going to always bring us together at the end. I want to see you in a white dress in a church saying I do to our vows. I love you so much. And then this is the wow. One says, love you, daughter. Okay. 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 So what? So Jeremy thinks is turning them into the police because he's suspicious of Jeremy. But now he's suspicious of Jeremy's dad. He thinks Jeremy's dad was in love with Bailey and wrote those letters. The police look into them and they're definitely from Jeremy. 
Jeremy wrote them letters. Jeremy wrote them. Yeah, yeah. Were they into some sort of daddy-daughter role play? I think that it says a lot about Chris that he actually thinks it was from the dad, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it makes everything a lot a lot weirder. I think that maybe there are some issues between Bailey and Chris, the dad. It seems like, based on how we saw Isaac and Chris seem very similar, kind of, in their demeanor. And I think that Chris, having clearly only two brothers, doesn't know how to relate to girls all that well. But Jan is one of those people that is special and can kind of bring the best out of people and is good with, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. she's his person. But I think that he doesn't relate to Bailey in the same way. And so Bailey might have some daddy problems. And so dating an older guy makes sense when you have some daddy stuff that, you know, and that daughter thing. But part of the reason that Jeremy feels so predatory to me is because of that daughter line is like, if you are even joking about having a daddy-daughter relationship with this girl who's too young for you, nasty. I agree. However, to play devil's advocate, I could see them having a running conversation where Bailey's like, I play sports and I think my dad thinks of me like a son or wishes he had another son. You know, I don't get treated like a daughter. And then so Jeremy's like, I love you, daughter, as like a joke. Just playing dumb devil's advocate. I think he's kind of creepy. I think it's kind of dumb. I don't know if it's creepy. I think it's kind of gross. The daughter was rough. I was like, oh, no, come on. In the same, like, and then another letter, I can see you in a white dress, daughter. Huh? stop. <laughs> Why are you doing this? I don't get it. I don't think that was the same letter. Does it make it better, though, that it's not the same? But I kind of feel like, is it possible that he wouldn't get how creepy that is? I think it's a little messed up. That's why I think I got so upset in the police interviews, why I'm saying he's over polite, because he's so very careful to be like, no, we haven't kissed. And he doesn't even get the sentence out before he's like, no, no, not at all. And I'm like, yes, you have. If you're talking about white dress, you have absolutely kissed that girl and probably done more. And you're sneaking into her room just to talk. You've got to be kidding me. Do you think we're idiots? And the way that he's kind of like protesting, no, never. It's protesting too much. It's too much. Yes, you've done that and more. Stop. We get it. Stop. I don't think that means he did it. He's trying to pretend like he's not a creep. Listen, I think anyone 19 should know better if he is doing things with her. The letters make me very suspect. I really want to talk to that pastor, but I don't think the pastor can talk to us. Did he talk to the pastor? That's all I want to know. Was that real or was that not true? I don't feel like he would say it. It sounded really real to me. Okay. Yeah, it sounded real to me. Did Twitter say anything about the letters or Jeremy? Were people kind of on the fence? People were on the fence about Jeremy. Gotcha. Most of them think he's being thrown under the bus. Oh, wow. Okay. When the police pushed Chris on this, so what do you think? Like, do you think actually Jeremy could be the one who shot Jan? Chris says no. He can't, even though he brought the letters and kind of was steering the police that way, even he doesn't think that Jeremy killed Jan. And that would be his perfect scapegoat right there. Yeah, I'm glad he said no. Even if he's innocent, he might try to pin it on Jeremy. So maybe he's dumb or maybe he's a good guy. Unsure. Really tough to tell. This is a weird case. So the police go back to Chris. Chris, the evidence looks like you were not in bed. That's big. 
He doesn't know what to say to that. Then they find the murder weapon or what they believe to be the murder weapon in Chris's construction company's workshop, which is basically a minute from the house. Unsure if it's like, it's not on the same property, but it's a minute's drive. You get in the car, drive for a minute, and then you're at the shop. And that's where the gun was. And unlike Chris's seven other shotguns that were all properly stored in cases, this one is just leaning up against the wall by the door. Chris didn't call 911 for nine minutes if Bailey was saying it was 9.30. She said 9.30-ish. Sorry, 2.30-ish. We don't know what 2.30-ish means. That could have been 2.40, but most teenagers probably don't say 2.40. They would just go 2.30. So it's very hard to say. That was so rough. I was yelling a lot at the TV. But when they did the drive, it took like three minutes. Brown trip, right? Three minutes to get in, put the thing, and go. But the problem is they also didn't ask her the other really, really important question we needed Bailey to answer. Did your dad get in his car? You can hear everything that happens. You said that in the house. Did you hear your dad's car start? Did the garage door open? Right. They ask her, did you hear anyone running out of the house? And she says, no. It's three minutes driving, not three minutes walking. So Mm -hmm. this seems like she either did or she didn't. Yeah. So I don't know why we don't get the answer to that, right? I would argue... She didn't have her hearing aid in. She probably put it in right after, I would think. She has hearing loss, but she was able to hear gunshots. And I think gunshots make a different noise than a garage door opening or a car. Those are probably more muffled sounds. But I would think in the chaos of it, she probably would have put her hearing aid on right away so she could feel like she knew what was going on better. But why didn't they just ask her, period? That's what gets me. We don't know if they asked her. That's another point. Like, we don't know if Dateline is omitting it or if the police omitted asking these questions. Because they definitely omitted asking, narrowing down the time. So it's sort of like, well... The time was omitted, for sure. This is your other thing. So are you not asking because you're worried about not getting the answer that you need? Or are you... Do you know? And we've seen that before. So it's really... It's frustrating because I don't think they're trying to intentionally mislead us, but that's what it seems like when you don't ask these questions that are backing up the timeline that you're creating. We got to figure it out. Absolutely. So they tell Chris, it was your gun that shot Jan. And he says, it was in the shop. And they say, yeah, it was your gun that shot Jan. And he says, I don't know if I believe that. No emotion again like zero emotion. And I was like, you've just learned that someone shot your wife with your own gun, not some stranger that you imagined coming in with their gun and then put it back in your shop, maybe trying to frame you and you have no emotion. And then he says, you've got my mind racing. (laughs) Kind of like his intonation is just so odd. Like he's, it's like the tone of where you'd say, this is a real puzzler. I have no clue. I'm flummoxed. You got me on that one. I feel like it's almost at this point that he's starting to realize that he's a suspect. I don't know if he knows. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Dude, you can ask for a lawyer at any time. You should have gotten one that first night. Oh, I don't think he knows. I don't think he thinks, how would they think that I did this? But the way he was getting so flustered and defensive when they were calling him on all the things that didn't make sense make me think he should have gotten a lawyer then, at least. Mm. 
they're saying this doesn't make sense what you're saying. This doesn't make sense what you're saying. Get a lawyer, bro. He needs to get a lawyer because he's very clearly not good with words. No, he is not. So you need someone that can explain what you're trying to say that will go slow with you and take your story down. And then if you need to adjust it, can say why you're adjusting it, et cetera, et cetera. But doing it on your own when you're not good with words, no one should do that. No one. Even if you are good with words, it's crazy. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. So he says, you've got my mind racing. Real puzzler. My stomach problems were a real puzzler. Oh, yeah. Great segue. It was a puzzle I wanted answers to. So I tried the Everly Well at-home lab test. I got answers about all my food sensitivities that have helped my stomach issues so much. I also recently got a, well, we got a message from a listener who said, you know who you are. I'm not going to say your name, who had very bad stomach problems for years that she never got addressed. She took the Everly Well test and she said she, now she has answers that she's been looking for for years. Oh, it's amazing. And that was so gratifying that's to Katie great. and I and to Everly Well. Everly Well also has thyroid health, heart health tests, vitamin D tests, STD tests. I'm basically working my way through all of their tests. I think I might do the hormone one next because many people have problems with their hormones. They also do testosterone tests so men can see if their hormones are out of whack. So I think it can be useful for anyone. Speaking of hormonal. Even the cat, <laughs> the very hormonal cat agrees with me that hormones should be tested regularly. Sorry. Everly Well tests are shipped to your door with easy to follow instructions. You send back your sample and it's processed in a certified lab reviewed by a board-certified physician, and the results are sent to you digitally within days, like really fast. Wow. So for 20% off an Everly Well at-home lab test, visit everlywell.com forward slash date dateline and enter code date dateline. That's everlywell.com forward slash date dateline, enter code date dateline for 20% off your test. Wow. Everly Well at-home lab test. Your answers, your way. Because Everly One should be Everly Well. Absolutely. Check them out, guys. They really ha offer an amazing service. Thank you, Everly Well. Thank you, Everly Well. From Everly One of Us. Hmm. So for years, nothing happens with this case. No one in the family thinks Chris did it. They have resigned that they're not going to get answers. Mm. It's odd. I don't want to judge the family. They've been through a horrible amount of trauma here. It's odd. They seem much more concerned that Chris is getting railroaded than the fact that there is a killer out there that's not being charged. Is that fair? I think they're not explaining it well if that's not what they're doing. If they're doing something else, they need to explain it because it seems like what you just said. Is it possible they just said, we can't believe Chris is getting railroaded, blah, blah, blah. We just figure we're not going to know who did it. And then the next sentence was, but I want to know who did it more than anything. I want that, you know, justice for my sister. Yes. And then Dateline cut that part out. Yeah, yeah that's totally sure. valid. But from all of the interviews we're getting, no one says things like that. No one. The first time I've ever heard somebody say we had like come to terms with that, that we weren't going to get answers. I was like, oh, it, it shocked me. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not been 10 years. It's been a couple years. Four years, I think. Oh, four years. I mean, that's a long time. One day is, I'm sure, agony. But they must be curious. I would think they would be curious unless they know and they have made peace with it. I really find that hard to believe. 
if the person who did it is someone that they wanted to protect. I really find that hard to believe that her family would want to protect that. I just find that very difficult to believe. I don't think we're talking about the same person. We'll get to guesses at the end. Oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, I understand. Now, do you see what I'm saying? But if they do think it's him, I do think in some situations, I have seen datelines where people are okay with something because they don't want a child to lose both of their parents. I think that's strange, and I don't think my family would feel that way, but I have seen it on Dateline where the family was sort of resigned to it because they didn't want, it's not that they didn't love their person that passed away, it's just that they loved the child and wanted them to still have one parent that they loved. We've seen that. Occasionally, very rarely, very rarely, but it's happened. Mm -hmm. So eventually, police indict Chris for murder. The courts indicted, whatever. There we go. He was indicted. <laughs> there was an indiction. Yeah. An indiction happened, and he hired two young men who are taking a break from midterms and barbecues with Alpha Sig. And the Great British Bake Off. And the Great British Bake Off. They auditioned, and they made it to round three, Pastry Week. They are representing Chris as their first big case and their first murder case. I loved it. I was thrilled. Odie, Opie. What's his name? Okay, apparently everyone thinks that if you have red hair, you look like Ron Howard. It immediately struck me because of the broad nose, too. I was like, oh, it was sort of like a teenager in a dad's suit, which is kind of the feeling you get from Ron Howard in earlier days. So it was that same feel. You know what I'm saying? So one of them's a ginger. The ginger lawyer says that Chris's stories were consistent. Okay. He doesn't say they were consistent. He says they were mostly consistent. Mostly consistent. He gave it a qualifier. Okay, good. The prosecutor who's prosecuting says that none of it made sense. Actually, he said something like, this scenario could not occur in this manner without him seeing the perpetrator. And Keith translates for us idiots who don't know what rough hewn means and says, so what you're saying is his story didn't make sense. Yes, Keith. Thank you. We're not going to talk about the prosecutor who is the exact opposite. It's like the other world version who has a perfectly manicured beard. And Oliver walks in the room and says, oh, is that the guy hired to play the devil? <laughs> so it's literally like too big of a suit and perfectly quaffed and the perfectly knotted tie. I was like, wow. Usually it's like opposite. Usually the prosecution is the other way around and... The defense is like a little bit, you know, mysterious, mysterioso. Nope. Not Interesting. Interesting. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So the trial starts and the prosecutor plays the hours of footage of Chris's inconsistent stories. Jan was sleeping. Then she was sitting up. The bullet should have hit him, but it didn't. And they were in effect spooning, if that was true. I liked in effect spooning. Uh -huh. The pillow that Chris was sleeping on was covered with tiny lead fragments of the bullets. Because when a shotgun goes, it's like little tiny fragments go everywhere. Right. And he didn't have any scratches or metal on his face at all. Right. 
There are also droplets of blood on the bed exactly where he was supposedly lying, like he's a ghost and the blood can just go under him and the bullet can go through him. So he's a ghost. So I solved it. There you Done. go. Bye, everybody. <laughs> he didn't get the gun that was in the bedroom, even though he thought there was a murderer loose. He didn't try to help Jan out at all, stop the bleeding or anything. And he didn't even check to see if she was dead. He just stopped at the doorway and glanced across the room to see if she was dead. There's a forensic scientist who takes the stand and says that it was the gun that killed Jan was the one found in his shop. Ooh, that's the toughest one. Yeah. Because she doesn't say that. She said that first, she didn't think it was the gun. And I knew that was going to be a problem. The minute she said that they had first ruled it out, I was like, oh, and then you went back later? Defense is never going to, because if I was a defense attorney, I would go for that so hard because you can't like on the redo, we figured out like that. We've seen this. That never works. Well, it was a redo, but it was testing more of the bullets. Like they tested two of the bullets and then they tested shot more. But you know that that doesn't look good. Oh, it doesn't look good at all. But then she fired more and realized that it was the gun. And then her whole team, apparently this is a nationally recognized, certified, that Keith keeps making that point. So the motive was the lake resort. He couldn't let go of this dream. He was willing to do anything to make this happen. He was willing to sell their house, sell his construction business, take out their retirement money, do anything to make it happen. And she was not a financial risk taker and she was not willing to do all of that. So here's the kicker for me is that after they made that first offer and they got denied, he went back and made another offer by himself, $150,000 more than their original offer, which is exactly what her life insurance policy was. Mm-hmm. And he made this offer 36 hours before the murder. It's not great. Mm -mm. It's the exact amount. The resort would only cost, if he was accepted on this offer, $700,000. Wow. That's insane. Maybe a two-bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. Yeah, seriously. Maybe. And there might be rust and barbed wire outside. The plumbing might need to be redone. Yeah. So... All of Jan's family thought that Chris was innocent and the prosecution felt that they were changing their stories to make it sound like their marriage was better between Jan and Chris. So originally Jan's sister had said that their marriage wasn't affectionate. And when she took the Senate trial, she said it was affectionate. Bailey had said that her parents never fought, but then Jeremy says she said they fought all the time and we're talking about divorce but then when she took the stand, she said a 15-year-old doesn't pay attention to their parents fighting. So she didn't notice if they were fighting or not. I feel like that was an answer to a different question. I wish that they had played that because I feel like the answer to that question is, do you remember what your parents fought about? She wasn't saying they didn't fight. It's just that she doesn't know exactly what the fights were about. Does that make sense? The wording of the, the answer is weird. It does. But every time the police brought her in, she said they didn't fight. So now it's the college kids. I mean, the defense attorney's turn. He says the forensic bullet trajectory is wrong. At this point, a fly flies repeatedly in front of him. And I was so happy that the fly that was on Mike Pence's hair during the debates is still getting work on primetime TV. He's doing great. Good for him. <laughs> so 
They say Chris didn't have blood on him because he got out of bed so fast. That's not how blood works. I don't feel like it's like slow-moving lava that you can outrun. No, and the bottom line is he said that he laid her back down on the bed. If he had never said that, we wouldn't be in a problem. But now we're in a problem Mm -hmm. because he should be covered in blood. Mm -hmm. They say that their forensic team says that you can't say for sure if this is the gun or not. So that's big. It's not saying it's not the gun, but it can't say for sure that it is the gun. And some people online, well, one person online said you can't say if a shotgun, it can't be proven forensically. But I don't know if that's true. Mm. I never got confirmation on that. And I feel like if that was true, the defense would have said you actually can't ever prove if a shotgun is the gun. And I would think that this nationally recognized group would know that. So the police never asked Bailey exactly what time she was woken up. This is a big one. She said 2.30-ish. Now she's saying that it was probably 2.38. That's totally possible to me because I might say 2.30-ish if I I saw that the clock said 2.38. Also, it's a digital clock by her head, and a zero looks a lot like an eight. So there's just one line missing. So that's also possible that she was confused and it was 2.30 or it was 2.38. I don't know. Or she's lying to protect her dad. Right. Could be either. Yeah. So the ginger says the motive doesn't make sense because why would you kill someone you were going to run a resort with? Because he couldn't get the resort with her because she was unwilling to get the resort. See, this is what I don't understand is I didn't ever hear that she was unwilling to get the resort. I heard that they didn't get it because the money wasn't there, even with their best offer and him selling everything he owned, the money still only equaled $550,000. No, I think their best offer was with what they had without liquidating everything and selling everything and taking out their retirement, college kids, college funds, all of that. Which was $550,000. Yes, without that. So he's offering seven hundred and fifty dollars because... Wouldn't that also then be liquidating the stuff if that wasn't part of the offer before? True. If he was just going to go behind her back or they had decided after fighting that, yeah, they were going to liquidate the shop and he was going to run it as his job. Why did he go make the offer by himself? Because they were fighting about it. He lied to the police and said he under or under oath, they said he lied and said he didn't make that offer. But they put people on the stand from the lodge who said he did make that offer. I think it's probably the offer he wanted to make. Now that I have been married, I could see that that could happen. But it doesn't look good that that was the amount of the the life insurance or he and that he lied about it. He needed to kill her and get the life insurance. I wrote a long time before this, what is the motive in huge letters on here because I can't figure out what it is. I guess I wish I had seen, I wish I had heard from, but I guess another family's not going to say anything that they were fighting and she didn't really want the lodge. They made it sound like, Keith made it sound like she loved the lodge. So they would have done anything to get it and they wanted to do it together. They didn't want a divorce and somebody go up and run the lodge. That didn't seem like something that was part of their plan, but- I can't figure out why. To me, if it was his dream. But it wasn't hers? I think it was hers too, but she was an accountant. She didn't want to like bank literally their whole future on it. But it had gotten far enough in their conversations that Bailey was stressed 
that she was going to not get her senior year and she was going to possibly stay here with her mom while he worked there and then they were going to join in the summer and move as soon as stuff was over. It was real enough of a plan that the son Isaac was looking at jobs in the area. It seemed like they got a blow three days before about the money. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. So why? Because he just was like, F it, I'm going to go live the dream myself, you think? If he didn't love her anymore? You think he didn't love her anymore? I don't know. Or what if he just snapped? What if it was not a premeditated thing? I think the only problem I have with the snapped theory is I thought about that. That seems to happen when you're in an argument, not someone's asleep and you're coming in hot with a gun. But we don't know if they were asleep. She was in her pajamas in bed. They could be fighting, though. She was up, sitting up when she was shot. So the defense attorneys say that they think it is maybe Jeremy, that Jeremy could have been there. And the one attorney says, do I think Jeremy's motive is a strong one? No, I don't. (laughs) Does it make more sense than Chris's? In some ways, basically admits neither one of them have the best motive. Now, the ginger attorney one is saying Jeremy's story was inconsistent. And Keith kind of smiles and tilts his head like, really? Jeremy's was? Okay. So Keith interviews the jury foreman. And the jury foreman is so impressed and thinks it says so much that all of Jan's family supports him. That does happen sometimes. It says quite a bit. There wasn't one person, not one of the family turned on him. Not one. That's true. However, that's not evidence, Mr. Jury Foreman. And I hope you weren't basing your decision on that. Right. Kind of sounds like it tainted him a little. I think it would. In a small courtroom, which they showed us like 10 times, that courtroom is tiny. Well, the town is tiny. I know. And it fits like, what, 12 jurors and 12 guests? And the 12 guests are all people there supporting him? Yeah. It's going to taint your view. Yeah. Yeah. So the jury was disagreeing on everything, but most were leaning towards not guilty. They even tried to reenact the spooning on the bed, which is hilarious. I'd like to have seen that. So they go to the judge and they say, we can't make a decision. We are a hung jury. And the judge says, no, you're not. Go back and make a decision. Wow. Can they do that? That's crazy. I know. And so that got them going, which is infuriating. So they come back and they find him not guilty. So basically, if the judge wouldn't have pushed them, they would have been a hung jury and he would have been retried. But because the judge pushed them to make a decision and they just wanted to go home, then they made a decision. Or they thought they had to. Maybe they were scared and they were like, oh, we have to do this. Yeah, I think they were scared of the judge. Yeah. He's going to like put us in jail if we don't make a decision. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? (laughs) I hope they were informed of their rights. Now, Chris is now talking to Keith. We now get our Chris interview. He said it's been rough, but he's glad to be vindicated. And the court's attorney released a statement to the public that they still believe he did it. And there are no other suspects. And Keith asks the prosecutor, what about Jeremy? And the prosecutor says, just no, not just no. He said Jeremy was nervous confessing to the police that he texted and drove that night. And they don't believe that it was Jeremy. So then the ginger defense attorney says, I'm not going to sit here and insinuate that Jeremy did this. You just did five minutes ago. And your whole defense was that he did it. 
I think they have to, right, for court. But I think, like, legally he can't say that because I feel like outside of court it becomes libel. I think it's <laughs> something weird. I feel like there's a thing. I bet, yeah, he doesn't want to get sued. I was not a fan of the defense attorneys, but they did a really good job. They built up reasonable doubt and they blamed it on this other person and Mm -hmm. it worked. But Chris says he's frustrated and he's mad at the cops and the prosecutor. And he also wants to talk to Jeremy and know why did he say those things about his marriage and stuff. So then we find out that Jeremy and Bailey are still a couple, like an actual couple now because she's of age now. Heath asked, then why doesn't Chris just ask Jeremy these questions now? Because he's still with Bailey. And Chris says it's a difficult topic that he hasn't asked Bailey about that night. They don't talk about that night. And he hasn't asked her what she's seen and what she knew, which is strange phrasing to me for some reason. He is not good with his words. He's not asking what she's seen. And what she knew. Does he mean what he sounds like he means? I don't know. God, that's weird. That's a weird way to say that. Yeah. So Jan's sister is furious at the investigators and was saying, like, we should never have had to go through that trial. Again, we don't hear her say she's furious that there's a killer out there that they're not pursuing now. And they've officially said they're not pursuing it because they believe it was Chris. Maybe it's just one of those places where we just don't discuss these things. Yes, I think that's possible. I also think, well, the other theory on Twitter being that Bailey had something to do with it. Yes, I could see where people would get to that pretty quickly. The problem with that theory is that that would mean that Chris was asleep in the bed and the forensics don't point to that he was in bed. It would just be far, far, far less likely. If maybe he was in the bathroom and now he's his stories don't make sense and why he's stuttering and all over the place because he's covering for his daughter or Jeremy and Bailey together, and he's covering for them both. The problem is the motive is a little shaky. It makes more sense to me that their motive would be that they didn't want them to date than that she thought she was going to be moved out of high school because they seemed willing to work with her on the high school issue. And she, I'm assuming, knows that they had lost their bid for the resort. I wish I knew that. I wish they told us that. So was it a Romeo and Juliet motive type thing? It's odd. It's not her. Then it's probably Chris. I wish that they had had better evidence. They don't have very good evidence and I wish they had a stronger motive. And I wish Chris had been better with his words to be able to explain some of this stuff. And I did think it was compelling at the end that you do clearly see him crying with water. He has water and his eyes are red. He's been crying. He seems like now he's a crier. (laughs) I was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's definitely upset about what the prosecution did to him. Oh, he's definitely upset about her, too. The end was the way he speaks about his wife. That was a hard thing. If they had put him on the stand, I would have had a hard time. I'm sure most people thought that he was full of baloney. To me, it it seemed genuine the way he was speaking about her. I hope he didn't kill her because that was sweet, but he probably did. Well, who... Would it be? Would you think it could have been Jeremy then? That's what I asked Oliver. Yeah, I think it would have to be Jeremy. But I don't see that being likely either. I can't really get there with Chris. I don't know why. I'm probably being dumb, but I can't get 100% that he did it. But you can't get there with Bailey or Jeremy? Mm -mm. Nope. 
in some sort of gypsy rose type. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that they were trying to kill both of them. I haven't seen that good of a faker in a while. The end seemed like the way he spoke about her, that he missed her, that he listed out the specific things. That was the best he spoke in the entire episode. That's true. You think that was just super fake? Well, last week, Mm -hmm. we had a huge surprise on our hands. What? With the principal. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a good actor. But she never once cried. She never once cried. But Chris didn't cry on his 911 call either. Mm-mm. Bailey didn't cry at all during her inter- any of her interviews. None of them. And none of these things point to guilt. And also not knowing who did it doesn't point to guilt either. Like, just because we can't think of who did it then. But it's always the most simple, likely scenario is usually the true one. Most of the time, Occam's razor. And I told Oliver you were going to think he did it. Because you don't believe in coincidences and this had too many sort of weird outstanding things. The life insurance being the exact amount of the offer he made 36 hours before without her is a really big coincidence to me. And the forensics are very confusing to me. Yeah. And I want to know very badly what the exact time Bailey saw was. And I want to know if they did the cell phone pings on Jeremy's phone. Because that would tell me for sure where Jeremy was. He definitely wasn't watching TV with his dad at 2.30 in the morning. And they were both deceptive in the lie detector test. But Jeremy was only deceptive about the marriage. That's what Dateline tells us. But what was, so what was Chris deceptive about? That's, that's maybe true. They didn't tell us exactly what he would, they said there was deception, period. So it's really hard to tell. You know, we're being led sort of certain ways. And clearly Dateline thought he did it. Like, I feel like the buildup was that they thought he did it. It was one of those cases. But he did. I think I see why the jury gave him not guilty. The judge shouldn't have done that. The judge absolutely shouldn't have done it because I think that there was enough reasonable doubt to absolutely for him to get not guilty. And it just drives me crazy so much that a jury can say, we're done. We can't come up with the decision. But then when they're pushed by the judge, they can suddenly make a decision. That means that you weren't actually trying to your full potential to make a decision or you were totally had your arms railroaded, had your arms tied behind your back into making that decision. And neither of those things are right to me. So I really don't like that when the judge says go back and 15 minutes later, they now all of a sudden can make a decision. And that's why we have appeals. That's why the appeals happen is because of things like that, number one. But also, I think it's reasonable for the judge to say, you're going to sit here for three days. So regardless, come to a decision. I get it not being hung after day one, but I think that that was a little harsh to give the other mandate. I think they're going to be confused. If this is a small town jury that doesn't do this a lot, they're not going to know what to do. Yeah, if he says you have to make a decision, I'd be like, okay, I guess we have to make a decision or we're going to jail. So I know we're long, but can we talk about the fire? Like, who started that fire? Was it Chris for insurance money? That was my thought. Or was he trying to kill her that first time? Okay. Was it Jeremy or Bailey? That doesn't really make sense to me. The insurance money seems like the most likely thing. I also thought, I thought from the beginning, I I told Oliver, I was like, she was killed because somebody's trying to get at Chris. Like he owes gambling money or like, that's where I thought this whole thing was going from the beginning. I was like, someone is attacking things around him in his vicinity to hurt him. Mm -hmm. 
And so I thought something was bad. I was wrong, but I don't know. The car thing is strange. The thing that makes the most sense is insurance money to buy the resort. And he either didn't get insurance money because they thought it was arson. So he failed. So that backs that up, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they thought it was set intentionally. Which means they wouldn't give him insurance money. And then Jeremy was the other option. And Jeremy is setting the car on fire so they can't leave. <laughs> that's they thought. can't buy another car because I'm simple. Because I'm, I'm burning this one to the ground. <laughs> that's how this is working. This episode is dedicated to Erica B. From your friend Megan. They're both Patreons. Erica introduced Meg to the show, and now they are friends of the show. Thank you. And yeah, Meg loves Erica very much, and it, it's very sweet. I love a Patreon and a Patreon being friends. One introduced another one. Oh, I love it. Do Keith miss, guys. Yeah, please. Then we could all be friends. Yeah. I love it. So thank you, Erica and Meg. Love it. I love it. Thank you, ladies. So. B-roll, cows. They're just having like a big family thing, which doesn't seem awkward at all, but it would have to be so awkward. I don't think it is. It's even, let's say they don't think Chris did it and they don't think Jeremy did it. I don't know who they think did it. We don't know if they think Jeremy did it. Right. But let's just say they don't think either of them did it. They would still kind of have awkwardness about this Bailey and Jeremy relationship, wouldn't they? Or maybe they're just over it by now because they're together and it's she's old enough now. So they're like letting it go. She's 20 now and he's 24. They're ignoring the love you daughter line and they're pretending they never heard about that. How upset is Bailey that her letters got aired on Dateline? <laughs> so she embarrassing. She owed. Yeah, she's ticked like off. her diary being read. It's so Not embarrassing. Good. So they're having this big family barbecue and those lawyers, those young kid lawyers are doing big boy lawyer stuff. They're big boy lawyer offices. Good for them. In their fancy suits. Big boy fancy suits. They're literally just out of school. Just, I can't even believe they're through law school. I think they're just out of undergrad, like crazy. I think he passed the bar last week and then gets the call for the case and got like a fancy lawyer because it's like his name and associates. I don't know what that means. Yeah, he just started his own law firm. He's like- He doesn't even have the business cards printed out yet, but he got a call from Chris. It's somebody's friend or somebody's yeah, nephew, nephew that they know. It's yeah, nephew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fashion police, Chris is wearing a Mountain Dew shirt and is drinking what might be Mountain Dew in one of the interrogations. I'm drinking Mountain Dew tonight. Look at that. And Katie is drinking from a giant thing of Mountain Dew. No, I'm not. I was, but I'm not anymore. I got a glass. From a two liter. And now it's in a glass. It's all I had. Like an adult. I have boxes everywhere. It's not, it's bad scene. <laughs> bad scene. Okay. Yeah. Do you have titles? I have one and then Twitter had a few really good ones. So I just let them do the talking. My only title is The Big Spoon. Oh, that's good. I'll write that down. Big Spoon. I had No Touching. I don't know why I wrote that. Why did you write that? It's from Arrested Development. Yeah, but what were they doing that was touching? Oh, it was was Bailey and Bailey and Jeremy. No touching. We don't touch. No touching. And I was like, that's what it made me think of. And then I had What's Your Sleep Number Position? Because... I see those commercials all the time. And then I had one shot to wake them all. You can be, your wife could be murdered right next to you and you wouldn't even feel it because of the sleep mattress from heaven. Sleep number 360. I sleep hot and I get cold. I can't stand those commercials. Okay. 
Anyways, what's... <laughs> and I get cold. Cold. What does Twitter have to tell me? What does Twitter have to tell the world? Redheaded Scott, imagine getting charged with murder and effing Rich and Cunningham shows up to be your attorney. Oh. Redhead Scott again. Chris recognizes how hard this has been on his daughter, but he's never once spoken to her about it. Great parenting. I don't think they speak. I don't think they've ever spoken. I don't think they talk about serious things. No, not a bit. Mm -mm. Barb said, I take back all the sick stuff I said about Chris. I figured he was in prison. If you do not hear from me, please call Dateline. Monta says, I'm sure Keith doesn't feel comfortable publicly saying what he thinks, but feel free to DM me with who you think killed Jan. I won't tell. <laughs> I really want to know what Keith thinks about this Yeah, one. I do too, actually. Well, I know what he's going to say. We know what he's going to say. He's going to say, well, the jury found him not guilty. <laughs> But in his interview with Chris, I don't feel like he was being his usual self. No, not a bit. I think he thinks he did it. I think Dateline was leading us to believe that he yeah. did it. Ravens, maybe Chris's brother did it. I mean, adding another person to this fiasco won't hurt. Oh, yeah, the brothers. Wow. Yeah. Pam C., who we love so much. Come on, even Superman couldn't jump out of bed quickly enough to avoid blood splatter. Ooh. Agree. Charles. Oh, we love Charles. Hi, Charles. Calling it Secrets at Spider Lake as my alternative title. I whispered the secrets. Yes, you did. I mean, it should be. Like, that's a no-brainer. I feel like you should also be whispering spider, but that's okay. Secrets at Spider, spider Lake. lake. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. It rolls off the tongue. Wick, wick, whack. I would destroy my husband if he told me to relax after I got shot. Because the police are like, why didn't you tell her to like relax or, you know, you know, to, like hang oh, in. There. The, oh my gosh, it's the worst. Don't it's say the, relax. It's the most condescending thing on the planet when someone's like, you're overreacting. Hey, can you, can you just calm down or whatever? It makes my entire like <laughs> being like if anybody, even, even if somebody changes their tone of voice where it's like, Okay, okay, I cannot. <laughs> it's like it makes everything raised to level. Just don't do that. Just don't do it. Just let the person finish. Okay. Keisler Soze, my phone calls to Domino's are more animated than Chris's 911 call. Man, is that true? Julie says, my husband at Cameron J. Dedrick says, this episode should be named Along Came a Spider Lake. Lake is in parentheses. And she said he insisted I give him credit. It's very good. What's her name? Julia and her husband, Cameron. Great job. Yeah. Barb said, when Chris lights up a room, you know it was arson. Oh. Katrina said, I medium suspect Bailey. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just I medium. Just medium. She didn't. <laughs> Honest Sinner said, Chris dodged Jan's blood droplets and shotgun fragments in bed like Neo in the Matrix. Your Lamb says, Jeremy Majerus has strong fake name vibes. Yes. Yeah, good point. Very good Strange point. name. And Dr. CCC says, last night's episode's alternate titles. One shot, two shot, red shot, who shot? Oh. The suspect who definitively wasn't having sex with the victim's underage daughter, officer. And number one, which I liked and I think is amazing, The Last Resort. Oh, that's very good. It's a perfect play on words pun. It was his last resort. It was the last resort. It was the resort they were trying to get. It was all about the resort. If we think he did it, which we're not sure. But I like it. Kimberly's pretty sure. 
I'm on the fence. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm at 80-90. Yes. I wish I had thought of that. Last resort. It's brilliant. It's good, right? I totally, I'm so jealous, Doctor. Doctor and Charles and uh, Cameron. These are all great titles. Great job. Doing our job for us. I like it. Can you guys keep doing this every week? And then I don't have to come up with any. Then we can leave Katie. Katie has a natural talent for it. I struggle with it consistently. You guys just send them to me. But then when you get one, they're so good when you get a good one. It's such a brilliant moment. Oh, and then it makes you feel sad. It doesn't make me feel sad. It makes me feel happy. I like it when you get a good one. Oh, when I get one. I thought you meant when other people get one, though. That makes you feel sad. Oh, no. When other people get one, it makes me feel like I wish I had thought of it. And I'm like, oh, five more minutes. Five more minutes. I could have got there, but I wouldn't have got there. So eventually I like them. So tell me where we are with Wham. Oh, we have already started. We are playing Whamageddon and we are playing Mariah Armageddon. I am still in both. We have many people who are out. There's a Mariah Carey special on Apple Plus that is taking out people left and right. Well, don't. Just don't watch it. Beware of pop-up ads for it. And she's promoting it all over the place. So just that MC... She's going to get you. But if you're out in Wham, you can still be in Mariah Geddon, right? Absolutely. It's encouraged to give you another chance to have some victory and something good come out of 2020. Great. That'll help. You get two chances this year and a Keith mess. Oh, it's a, it's a smorgasbord of delightfulness. There's actually one that's called the LDBC, which is the Little Drummer Boy Challenge. You can get through with that. There's a poster that looks like a horror movie poster and it has a silhouette of a little boy banging a drum on a deserted street. They're like, after Thanksgiving, no one will hear this. It's good marketing. I never hear Little Drummer Boy, but I do hear Mela Kaliki Maka, which makes me want to do a Mela Kimberlana. Mela Kali- I got to get your name in there. I'm going to figure it out. And you can do that when you can do that next year. You can start your own with Mela Kaliki Maka, the Bing Crosby song. I hear that I, a fair amount. You do? Like every year, you think? Oh, easily. M- multiple times. It's a store song. and then Is it because you're watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation a lot? Never. Not in years. I might watch it this year, though, because we all need a good National Lampoon's year. So I'm going to try to... I might buy the movie this year. And then the other one is the Do They Know It's Christmas Time? The Feed the World. That one's always on. Ugh, that song. But the... Wor- that song to me is bad, but the worst song is the Paul McCartney. Oh, simply having. Yeah. And it's all weird, like techno, like like robots are singing, and I hate it. That's the worst. Do they know is Dateline after all? Is it how can we do, how can we get ourselves in the game? I'm just trying to get us, I'm trying to get us in the game. It's Keith Mess after all. I feel like we could do it. It's Keith Mess after all. And then if you hear that one, you're out. So we can start our own contest next year. But we have to have the actual song. So we need a recording studio, ASAP. I do feel like how many can there be before you just can't listen at all to anything? We got to get in under the wires, what I'm telling you. Someone on Twitter, though, did. I got to read this one. That was so funny. At least you weren't Holly Jolly Chris Massacred. Holly Jolly Chris Massacred. But I think it's really funny. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. It's really good. Anyway, stay safe out there, everybody. Wear a mask. Please take care of each other. Just think about, think of your fellow man. Give Aww. him a helping hand. 
Put a little love in your heart. Bonus points if you know what Christmas movie that's at the end of. At the end? Yeah. I do not know. It stars Bill Murray. And the song is sung, that version is sung by Annie Lennox and somebody else who I'm forgetting right now. Well, there's only one Bill Murray Christmas movie that I can think of. And it's that one. Well, there you go. Now I know it. Yay! We have a friend who's abnormally, not abnormally, normally obsessed with Bill Murray because he's, who wouldn't be? Go watch that movie if you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye, you. Everybody. Bye. It's a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Hanukkah day. Ooh-hoo-hoo. Oh, my God. Sorry. I hate to keep continue on this. I know it's over. I think spiders eat mosquitoes. Okay. Yeah, that might be true. That you could mark it. No skeeters. They are useful, but you might get bit by a spider instead. I would rather get bit by a mosquito than a spider. That's how much I hate spiders. Yeah, understood. You're probably, most of America probably feels the same. Okay, yeah. go ahead. That doesn't count. That's not a good one. I'm sorry, I probably can't say that. It's really not, though. It's not. That song does not play that much. That's a weird song to pick. Yeah, I like. I, actually, I feel like I'm you're good at that, that song. song. I feel like, I like you are song. good at that sort of. Angela from The Office is good at that song. I think, but I <laughs> yes. think that we should. Yes. I really feel like there is a stronger song, and I feel like the stronger song is "Do They Know It's Keith Mus." Yeah, I think you might be right. I might be right. Why don't we try? Let's. What's the worst that can happen? Wait, wait. What was the other one you say you always hear? Melakalikimaka. I mean. But I don't like that it takes Christmas vacation out of the rotation. I won't stand for that. I'm out of that. I just liked it that I could thought I could put your name in it. Oh, well, but my name doesn't need to go in it. It has nothing to do with me. Melakalimkakimber Maka. I was going to get it in. I was going to get it in there. If I can fit it in, we're doing it. If I can fit both of our names, we're definitely doing it. Okay. But I don't know if I can. Oh, Melakalikimber. Kimber, Kimber. Someone said at Ma least. Kate. Ma Kate. Melakali Kim Ma Kate. Because it makes it our thing. I'm trying to make one for us so that like you, the joy from Whamageddon will be your own. You will have started it. You're going to be the Twitter phenomenon. It's a you. I don't need to be it, but. That's my, that's my Hanukkah gift to you. <laughs> okay. You're going to save a lot on shipping costs. That's a terrible gift. I give you something you totally don't want, and I'm forcing it on you. We're doing the song thing. (laughs)